0: Lord God, as we come to your word together again this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus, to see Jesus in his glorious majesty, and to see him in his compassionate touch. Lord, give us eyes to see Jesus for who he really is, help us to see his mercy and his compassion, his glory and his power, and help us to respond rightly to who he is and what he's done. We pray that you do this by the power of your Holy Spirit and change us so that we would go forward from this place more eager servants and ambassadors for him. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. He has done everything well. Jesus has done everything well. That'd be a good summary of our sermon series from the Gospel of Mark called Simply Jesus thus far. He has done everything well. You remember some of the stories? Truly, he's done everything well. And that has been the exclamation of the people... Especially last week in Mark chapter 7 when the crowds said he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Pastor Don walked us through the end of Mark chapter 7 where Jesus miraculously healed a person who couldn't hear and couldn't speak. He has done everything well. And the Gospel of Mark continues with more miraculous work of Jesus, more evidence of him doing everything well. In Mark chapter 8, we see Jesus performing another miraculous feeding. Remember back in Mark 6 when he fed 5,000? Here in Mark 8, you'll see him feeding 4,000 plus men, or sorry, that's just men, plus women and children. Jesus has done everything well. We're not going to take the time to look at the feeding of the 4,000 today because it's so similar to the feeding of the 5,000. They're crowds of hungry people. The food available was scarce. And yet Jesus took a small number of loaves and fish and he multiplied them miraculously. And the people ate, and not only did they eat, they were satisfied. They were full, and not only were they satisfied and full, there were leftovers. People were taking home doggy bags of the food that Jesus had multiplied. Jesus has done everything well. And yet, there's a problem. After the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus is concerned because his disciples the people who have been following him most closely still are struggling to see Jesus for who he really is. Jesus is concerned, in fact, that they have been infected or that they might be infected by the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees. That's Jesus' way of speaking about the Pharisees who had a spirit of unrepentant disbelief. And he's concerned that his disciples, the people who've been following him most closely in his earthly ministry, might be falling into that trap of unrepentant disbelief. In fact, Jesus is so concerned that at the end of Mark chapter 8, Jesus has some firm questions for his closest followers. He says to them in Mark 8:17, Do you still not understand? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Think about that for a second. What an indictment to have been following Jesus zealously, excitedly, and to have Jesus pull you aside and say, but do you still not get it? Are you still spiritually blind, do you see me for who I really am? This is the question Jesus asks his disciples, not his enemies, the people who are there, eyewitnesses, sitting in the front row, so to speak, and he asks them, can you see me? Do you know who I really am? So in an effort to illustrate this point about their spiritual blindness, Jesus has an encounter in Mark chapter 8 with a blind man. It's an affectionate encounter where Jesus steps into the life of a man who can't see physically in order to teach his disciples something about their own spiritual blindness. This healing, this miracle that we're about to see is a picture, it's a metaphor, it's a parable, meant to help us understand our own spiritual blindness. Meant to help us answer the question of whether or not we see Jesus for who he really is. So let's see Jesus with the disciples in Mark eight, verses 22 to 26. They came to Bethsaida And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't go into the village. Do you see Jesus? Let's attempt to see him today. Bethsaida... The setting of today's story is a village on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. You might say it's a border town, a border town between the predominantly Jewish culture on the western side of the lake and the predominantly Gentile culture on the eastern side of the lake. And according to the Gospel of Matthew, the people of Bethsaida had a reputation And it wasn't a good reputation. The people of Bethsaida were known as a people of unrepentant disbelief. Jesus spoke words of stern warning. Maybe even warning the curse of God himself in Matthew chapter 11. You don't need to turn there, but listen to Jesus. It says, Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed. Because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, those Gentile places, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Talk about an indictment. Bethsaida was warned by Jesus himself for their unrepentant ways, especially because they were eyewitnesses to many of Jesus' miracles. You remember, Jesus' ministry goes around the Sea of Galilee. And as a seaside town, there might have been members of that community who were present at the feeding of the 5,000. They were certainly within earshot of the many miracles that Jesus had done. And yet they were content to be amazed, maybe to be entertained by this great miracle worker, but it hadn't caused them to turn from their sinfulness, that's what repentant is, and believe in Jesus. He said to these disbelieving people of Bethsaida, Woe to you. Judgment is coming if you don't turn. So Jesus brings his spiritually blind disciples to this spiritually blind town in order to have an encounter with a physically blind man in an effort to help all of us, even us today, see Jesus more clearly. So how does this passage, how does this true story about Jesus, affectionate encounter with the blind man, how does this give us a better picture of Jesus? Well, first of all, it shows us that Jesus is intensely personal. Jesus is intensely personal. Did you notice the way that Jesus intentionally took the blind man's hand in verse 22, verse 23, excuse me. This exhibits that personal compassion and care that Jesus has for individuals. When I lived and worked in Afghanistan more than 10 years ago now, it was not uncommon to see men, grown men, walking through the market, maybe walking through the village, holding hands with one another. And I have to admit, the first time that I was walking through town and one of my Afghan friends grabbed my hand as we walked out in public, I felt very awkward. That gesture felt very uncomfortable for me. But in Central and Southern Asia, maybe other parts of Africa too, across the world, holding hands even between grown men, is a gesture of compassionate friendship. It's a gesture to say, I care about you. I befriend you. Jesus shows that sort of personal compassion for this man. And not only that, he's offered his hand in personal care. Remember, this man is blind. We have a number of visually impaired members of our congregation. Some of you are here right in this service. And I'm always touched when I see others in our congregation take the visually impaired by the hand and lead them around our building, getting them to the things they need and the places they need to go as a gesture of personal, compassionate care. Jesus took that blind man by the hand. And he led him across the bumpy terrain of northern Galilee. And not only did he lead him in town, the text says he led him outside the village. Think about how the terrain would have gotten bumpier, rockier, more precarious as they went outside the village. But Jesus was there to stabilize and to warn and guide and direct this man intensely personal Jesus is. And did you notice that? That they went outside the village. I think this is another clue to help us understand that Jesus is intensely personal. Have you ever been to a big party? Maybe dozens or hundreds of people there? And you scan the crowd and you see no one that you know. It's a very lonely feeling. And then, From across the room, you see a friend, someone who knows you, someone who recognizes you, and that friend, he or she pulls you aside, away from the chaos, outside of the crowd, and you converse. You have a real exchange, a real conversation, and suddenly, you no longer feel like just a face in the crowd. You feel like a person again, because someone who knew you took an interest in you. I suspect this blind man felt like a face in the crowd. He was disabled. And his particular disability, his blindness, would have been seen by many in that culture as a punishment from God. Perhaps they would have seen him as an especially bad sinner because he was blind. But Jesus takes him away from that disbelieving town of Bethsaida, outside the village where he can have a personal encounter. Jesus cares about individuals. You know, I wonder if we today can see that Jesus cares about us as individuals too. Are you personally convinced that Jesus loves you? That Jesus cares for you in the same way that he cared for this blind man in Bethsaida. As you saw from the video, we just finished a wonderful week of Vacation Bible School. It was fantastic. Over 300 kids every day, over 150 adult and teen workers coming to serve children so that they might be submerged, cue the music, Kids who are here, you're singing that in your head. Submerged, right? Sing. You missed out. I'd sing it for you, but no. We had this wonderful week at Vacation Bible School, and as you might guess, one of our memory verses was none other than John three sixteen. For God, so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son the gesture of God's loving kindness in sending us his son Jesus. Now when I was in vacation Bible school, when I was in Sunday school in Iwana, I remember it was fairly common for the Bible teacher or the pastor to say, you need to personalize John 3.16. Yes, God loves the world, but you need to insert your name in that text to help you remember that you're a member of this world, a member, an individual in this world, An individual that God loves. And so I would say in my little head, for God so loved Benji. For God so loved Benji that he sent his one and only son. Do you believe that Jesus is intensely personal enough that he loves you as an individual? In spite of who you are as a sinner, In spite of whatever disabilities you might have, Jesus loves individuals in an intensely personal way. One more thing that shows Jesus' intensely personal character is his method of healing. Just like the healing of the deaf and mute man last week, Jesus uses spit to heal this man. Now we think that's so gross To to our modern mindset, this just seems sickening. And yet, Pastor Don reminded us last week that this is to be viewed as exactly the opposite. It's intensely personal and affectionate and intimate. It's the way that Jesus communicates his life to a hurting individual. As I was reading and reflecting on this passage, seeing Jesus spit from his mouth onto the eyes of this blind man, it reminded me of the creation account in Genesis. Remember when the Lord God created Adam in the garden? Genesis 2.7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. I wonder if that's not a similarity here. The Lord God breathed life from his mouth into Adam, making the dust alive. And then here at Bethsaida, Jesus used saliva from his mouth to put on this blind man's eyes, those dead eyes, that they might come to life and see. Friends, Jesus is intensely personal. He takes this man by the hand. He takes him outside of the village alone as an individual. And he gives life where there's only death. Jesus is intensely personal. This miracle also helps us see Jesus in the sense that he is patiently persistent. Jesus is patiently persistent with this gentleman. Probably the most commonly asked question about this miracle is, why did Jesus perform this in two stages? What's the deal with that? Uh, Did did Jesus screw up the first time? Did he somehow need a do-over? No. Jesus didn't need a do-over. As Kent Hughes, pastor, puts it this way, Jesus purposely performed a partial healing. He did not suffer an energy shortage. The act was premeditated. In other words, we need to remember that Jesus can and does perform miracles any way he wants because he's in charge and we're not. We shouldn't be surprised when we see Jesus performing miracles in any number of ways in the Gospels, sometimes just speaking, sometimes touching, sometimes using spit. But that really doesn't help us answer the why question, does it? Why two stages? Well, let me attempt to explain. If we're really going to understand this two-stage healing, we need to remember the context of the passage. I tell people when they read the Bible that Jesus is king and context is queen, okay? Jesus is king, context is queen when you read the Bible. What I mean to say is the whole Bible really points to and comes to its climax in the person and work of Jesus. So as you're reading the Bible, you ought to always be asking yourself, whether Old or New Testament, how does this point me more to Jesus and what God has done for us through Jesus? Jesus is king. But if we're really gonna understand individual passages, we also have to keep context in mind. That is the surrounding literature, the surrounding passages, so context is queen. The context here, as I shared in the introduction, is that Jesus' disciples are spiritually blind. Their vision of Jesus, spiritually speaking, is fuzzy at best. To use the words of the partially healed blind man when Jesus asks, do you see anything? The disciples look at Jesus and they might see Jesus like a tree walking around. In other words, they don't see him for who he truly is. They see him like someone with macular degeneration sees an individual. They see a shape, but they can't see all the distinguishing characteristics to identify the individual for who he or she really is. They're only partially seeing Jesus for who he is. And so Jesus, he purposefully, impatiently and persistently heals this man over two stages to help his disciples understand, you haven't really seen me yet. You don't really understand and see me for who I really am. You might see in me an authoritative teacher, and I am. You might suspect that I'm a prophet, and I am. You might have witnessed my miraculous powers and I have performed them but that's not my whole identity these disciples see Jesus as a fuzzy image like a tree walking around but Jesus doesn't quit Jesus is patient and persistent and even as he touched that man a second time on the eyes He's touching his disciples over and over through the Gospel of Mark. He's giving them more and more material to help them see who he really is. Another teaching, another healing, another exorcism, another storm calming. Over and over again, Jesus patiently, sometimes even firmly but persistently giving them glimpses of who he really is. One pastor scholar puts it this way. Jesus' miracles were more than events of healing. They were parables of spiritual reality. Meaning that Jesus heals people physically to help us understand that we need to be healed spiritually. There's something for us to learn here. Because as we gather here today, a relatively diverse group of people We're all on a different place on what I'm going to call the spiritual sight spectrum, the spiritual sight continuum. Some of you are here today, and you see Jesus like the Pharisees or the people of Bethsaida, which is to say you don't see your need for Jesus in the first place. You feel like you're living a respectable life. And you feel like you can do it on your own. And so you are independently unrepentant. You don't need Jesus. If that's you today, I would urge you to consider those words of Jesus that I read earlier. Woe to you. You cannot, you must not do it on your own. You need to turn from sin and trust Jesus because if you do not, There is an eternal judgment coming. Some of you are here today, and you have never seen Jesus before. Maybe you're young, and you just haven't had the opportunity to know him. Maybe a friend has brought you here, and you've spent your whole life to this point, but you've never really heard anything about Jesus. Can I just say, I am glad that you're here. I am hopeful that non-Christian people would be coming to South Church Sunday by Sunday because we want to help you see Jesus. We want to help you see Jesus for who he really is, not what the History Channel says or what some folk tale told you. We want to help you see Jesus. In the worship folder today, on that little connection card, on the back side, there's always an opportunity to RSVP to a course that we have here at South called Christianity Explored. It's a study of the Gospel of Mark that we've been preaching through. It attempts to answer the questions, who is Jesus? Why did he come and what does it mean to follow him? And it's a little early because we're starting up again in September. But consider RSVPing today. If you haven't seen Jesus, if you don't know what it really means to be a Christian, please join us. We'd love to have you. Some of you are here today and you have seen Jesus. But you're like the disciples. You've seen Jesus and you like Jesus. His teaching is appealing. You're really inspired by his miracles. And you have a a, a certain sense of respect for him as a model martyr. But you haven't really understood who Jesus truly is. You're comfortable to come and go to church here and there. You're comfortable to pop in when convenient. But you haven't really seen Jesus as the only Lord who saves. You haven't given your whole life to Jesus. You've been around Christianity. You've been around Jesus. But you haven't really been changed by him. I'm convinced That there are a large number of people in this category at places like South Church. Uh, That there are people in this room who like Jesus, but don't really see Jesus for who he truly is, the only Lord who saves. The only right response to Jesus is to turn from sin and trust him with your whole life. No turning back. And thank God that some of us this morning see Jesus rightly. We see him and we've come to know him as the only Lord who saves. And this is good. It's all by God's grace. But I want to remind you that there's still more to be seen about Jesus. There are still things to learn about his glorious character and what he's done. We're blessed to be a generally, generationally diverse congregation. I mean, look around this room. You see people of different ages. This is good. But notice that the folks who are in this room that have known Jesus for decades, they're still here week by week, Sunday by Sunday, worshiping with God's people in an effort to see Jesus more clearly. They're connected maybe in an adult Bible community or a growth group, a men's or women's Bible study, in a smaller gathering because they want to see Jesus with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're serving. Some of our oldest members were serving in VBS. May that be an example to all of us of what it really looks like to see Jesus for who he is and then to gratefully respond to him in service. No matter where you are on the spiritual sight spectrum, Jesus is patiently and persistently pursuing you. He wants to bring you to a clearer vision of who Jesus is, who he is, so that you'll bow your whole life to him. And be encouraged by this fact. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then... We shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So we've seen that Jesus is personal. We've seen that Jesus is patiently persistent. And finally, this passage shows us that Jesus heals perfectly, completely. He does all things well and right and good perfectly. If the disciples were really watching Jesus, they would have recognized that Jesus is giving them a sign that he is God's Messiah, the Christ, the only king who saves. That Jesus is God's only chosen king because these sort of miracles that he's performing, healing deaf and dumb people, giving sight to the blind, they are the Ways to describe the Messiah and his eternal kingdom. Did you listen to the scripture reading this morning from Isaiah 35? All those pictures of creation perfectly restored. One of the lines in there is Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. That the Messiah will come and the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongues shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. In other words, when Jesus heals this man, he's giving us a glimpse of the eternal kingdom. And it's a reminder to us that for all those who know and love Jesus, there'll be no more disabilities in the new heaven and new earth. There are no no more cancer and physical trials. Jesus will heal everything perfectly. And not just physically speaking, friends. More importantly, he will heal us spiritually perfectly. When you turn from sin and trust in Jesus, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that you become a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Have you turned from sin and trusted Jesus that you might be healed perfectly? sins forgiven and freed up to serve God with the rest of your life. He told this gentleman, don't go back into that village. Don't go back into this place that's known for unbelieving, unrepentant lifestyle. The place where you're only known as the blind man. Go home and start your new life with Christ, following him in a full-fledged fashion. I've healed you perfectly, Jesus says. Don't go back your old way of life. You're a new creation in Christ. We all, we all need to be healed by King Jesus. We need more than his compassionate physical touch. We need to trust Jesus by faith. We need to recognize that he is the only king who saves. If you're a Christian here today, you might take a cue from the friends at the beginning of the passage, verse 22. They begged Jesus to touch their friend because they knew that Jesus had the power to heal. Are you in the habit as a Christian of praying for your non-Christian friends? Do you beg Jesus to make himself known? You can't save them, but you can tell them the good news and you can pray for them, earnestly appealing to God that he would open their spiritual eyes. And if you aren't yet a Christian here today, I pray that you've seen Jesus a little bit more clearly. I pray that today you would turn from sin and trust Jesus because Jesus is intensely personal. He loves you. Jesus is patiently persistent he wants you to see him for all he is and jesus is the only one who can heal you perfectly from your sin and your rebellion so you might be forgiven and spend eternity with him let's pray lord god we're thankful That here in the pages of scripture you've given us a glorious picture yet again of your son Jesus. Now I pray that we would just have eyes to see him. And that he would truly be the number one priority in our life. That we would give our ultimate allegiance to Jesus. I pray this for myself and I pray this for everyone gathered here today. Lord God, thank you for your son and for the perfect healing that he brings. In his name I pray, amen.